Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everyone. Um, I do want to make one quick announcement before we get into the Word. You can go ahead and be be turning to Jonah chapter 2, which is where we're going to be this morning. Making our way into that second chapter. Making making ground here. Um, Briefly, as it concerns the Grayland Reefs 5K, uh, there is a need for for some people to help with the evangelism team. There will certainly be people at the Grayland Reefs run that don't know Christ or maybe need someone to pray with. Um, Lon is currently working on building a team that, of people that are available to do that. And really, we probably need maybe five, five people to commit, and we currently have two. And so if you're interested in helping, uh, maybe you're not a, a running type, or maybe you're willing to sacrifice your running uh, to stay back and, and to help uh, with that work, uh, please find Lon um, who would love to talk to you about that. Cool? Cool? I'm going to pray and we're going to get right into it. Shall we? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Uh, God, we're thankful for what you've taught us so far from this book, Jonah, um, which in many regards, I think, um, as adults, we tend to dismiss and, and we don't recognize the gravity uh, of the story or even the reality of the story. Um, we're so concerned with the whale that we, we often uh, lack the discernment to see that we are Jonah. And we struggle with all the things that he struggles with. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at Jonah's repentance today, that we would see in our hearts a need to live a lifestyle of repentance, where we're practicing uh, being close to you, where we're practicing purging out the old man. As a, as a function of our faith, as a function of sanctification and growth, Lord, we would be purging out old ways and sins that beset us, uh, that we might remain close to you, and we might remain close to your side and within your will for our lives. Lord, we desire this. Um, Lord, we ask that you would teach it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last Sunday, we were looking at the lives of the mariners in Jonah chapter 1 specifically. And, and as you remember, um, Jonah, uh, Jonah is on the run from God, uh, specifically from God's will. He's trying to escape uh, obeying God. God has given him a mission to go to the Ninevites and to tell them and warn them uh, of their impeding destruction. And, uh, and I don't want to reveal too much. We're going to talk more about that in chapter 3. Uh, but, but Jonah doesn't want to do it. Okay, He's resisting obeying God. And so he takes off and he's on the run. And as we learned, God is faithful to correct His servants when they're out of line. Uh, His children, when His children disobey, He's faithful to correct them. And so He sends a storm to chase after Jonah. They're out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, He and and these other mariners who are on this boat with Him. And uh, and He's on the run. And God uses this storm uh, to to wreck the lives, ultimately. I mean, we see that Jonah is still basically complacent and apathetic to God's work in his life. Uh, But what we see is is God using this storm to draw these mariners, these other folks that are on the boat with him, 
uh, into salvation. And we looked at the repentance of the mariners. And, and we talked about how the mariners function for us as a picture type of the lost person coming to belief in Jesus Christ. All right, and let me explain that to you just a little bit more for, the, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, that phrase. When we're talking about picture types, what we're referring to is how God creates uh, uh, illustrations for us in his scripture that are archetypes of what we're going to see in, in, in the future. And so we know, and we'll talk about this more later, J- uh, Jonah himself is a picture and an archetype of, uh, archetype of what Christ is going to be. Right? We know that Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, and Jesus spends three days and three nights in the heart of the earth to save us from our sin. We know that Jonah was a sacrifice necessary to save the mariners on the boat. And we also recognize that Jesus was a necessary sacrifice to save us from our sin. Well, the mariners function as a picture type, an illustration for us of what it looks like for a lost person to come to repentance and a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's what we looked at last week. As we move forward, though, we're going to turn our attention back to Jonah, and we're going to talk about repentance uh, as it concerns the believer. Repentance as it concerns the believer. You might need to skip over some stuff here, John. Uh, I think I got ahead of you there. So if you can go right to the slide that says, Free us, from, uh, free us by repentance. That would be much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Okay, so we turn our eyes back to Jonah. Jonah's been thrown overboard. Now, before we talk about Jonah, we want to remind ourselves uh, that Jonah is a lot like us. He's a lot like us. When, when Jonah is stretched, when Jonah is asked to, to do and to be things that he doesn't believe he's capable of being, when he's called out into a storm or he has a time of trial or, or darkness, uh, his natural inclination is to run. That's his natural inclination, is to escape, is to hide, is to disconnect. And he, and he ultimately grows apathetic towards the calling of God, God in his life. And so I think for all of us, as we've gone through this series, we've begun to recognize that we have similarities to Jonah. In this ministry, um, college and young adult ministry, uh, big surprise, there is, there is a continual um, conflict between the emotions that you carry and the will of God. The way that you feel from day to day and what God is calling you to do and to be. God is calling you out to be a missionary for His sake. To live a life of great meaning and great purpose. And it's going to require a lot of you. And you will be stretched. And there will be hard times and there will be seasons of suffering. And it is absolutely crucial that we determine that we will take on God's mind. And we will take on His heart. And we will accept the things that He has for us so that we can be in His will and we can live a fulfilled life. We have to come to that place. And that's why we're in Jonah. That's why we're studying the book of Jonah. Who can attest to the fact that they struggle with some of this stuff? Does anybody say that as we've gone through the series, you've, you've seen yourself in Jonah? Again, the issue isn't whether or not as Christians we're going to struggle because we are. The issue, the issue isn't whether or not as Christians we're going to suffer pain and loss because we are. 
And most importantly, the issue isn't whether or not we as Christians are going to be stretched in our faith, because we are, we absolutely are. The issue is when hard and confusing times come, will we choose to serve, love, and pursue God's will, or will we cultivate another plan? Jonah had a backup plan, and he was working that plan. And many of you right now are being stretched. Many of you can feel the pull on your lives. I know for a fact there are people in this ministry right now, this moment, are feeling the pull to leave and to go and to find a new way. They've got a backup plan. But I want you to recognize today, we're going we're gonna to talk about repentance more, that, that God is calling you to repent of your backup plan. To turn, to restore your mind to His own. So here's a question for you. What does God need to do to get your attention? I mean, for, for Jonah, a storm was sent, a, a catastrophic storm, okay? It was tempestuous, right? And, and God was literally wrecking His reality and he's asleep down in the bottom of the boat. And what we come to find out is it requires him being swallowed by a whale. Um, and, and what we'll read is that it wasn't very fun. It wasn't enjoyable. But, but my question is, what will it take to, to call you to a place of repentance? What will it take in your life? For, for Jonah, when his thoughts grew distant from God... God didn't get audibly louder in his request. You hear what I'm saying? Like the request came in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. You can go back and read it. The request came. God spoke his word. He didn't need to add to anything. He had no interest in arguing with Jonah. He didn't have more to say on the matter. He prepared a fish. He prepared a fish. He prepared an agent to draw Jonah into repentance. So he got to work. He didn't say anything more. He didn't argue with Jonah. He crafted a plan. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God prepared a fish to swallow up Jonah, a special fish just for him, to show him the end of himself. Now, God knows you. He knows you really well. He has watched you your whole life. He has the number of hairs on your head counted. Do you understand that? Right? He, under, he knows every tear that you've ever cried. He knows it. And He knows you intimately. And He knows what is required to bring you to a place of submission before Him in His will. And He's willing to craft plans specifically for your life. Now, I want to say that because it's, it's, on one hand, it is... Uh, very comforting to know that God knows us that well. But once again, it's also very scary to know that he knows us that well. And he knew Jonah. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he isn't the one who needs to change. He doesn't need to, to find a place of compromise with Jonah. They don't need to sit down and chat about it. He needs his heart and his mind to be understood and submitted to. So key point number one, 
all wandering Christians are at risk of God's relentless pursuit. All wandering Christians are at risk of God's relentless pursuit. And I use the word risk because I mean it. We're at risk. Because on one hand, it is very comforting. On the other hand, it it provokes fear in our heart that God is that determined that we be in His will. It's a very powerful thought. Wouldn't you agree? He is relentless in His pursuit of His children. God wants us to align our heart and mind with Him, and it's His prerogative on how He brings us to recognize that. He can do it any way He sees fit. So again, some more more personal questions for you. What have you been struggling with? Like, here's a moment of honesty. What is it that you've been struggling with? This last week, this morning even, what are the struggles that you see laying ahead of you? Maybe they're financial. Maybe they're relational. Maybe, maybe they're just spiritual. Maybe you've been fighting against God. Is it an idea? Is it a frustration? Is it a feeling? Is it a hidden motive? Is it a desire? Is it an activity that you have in your life that you know flies in the face of God's will for you? Is it a fear? Is it an addiction? And I want to start really, I want to start our message today by begging you. You don't need to negotiate with God. You don't need to negotiate with God. You don't need to hide because you know you can't. You need the same thing you needed when you got saved. To repent and go and love and align your mind, align your will with His. That's what you need. There's nothing outside of that. There's nothing outside of it. What will you find, my friend? What, let's say for a moment you get to Tarshish. Let's say you get there. Let's say you get to the other t- side of the Mediterranean. What do you find there? There was nothing waiting for Jonah on the other side of the Mediterranean. And there is nothing waiting for you on the other side of Plan B. But more heartache, more frustration more plan B's, more dreaming, more wandering. God has a plan for you. From the belly of the whale, in the midst of his pain, Jonah cries out. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Jonah prayed. And what I want to point out to you today is that when his followers repent, God is faithful to respond. When you cry out, you can know that He is ready to save you. So let's, let's look at the story, and let's begin. Let's, let's talk about God's faithfulness in Jonah's repentance. And we'll start with point one here. God hears our prayer. He hears us. And we can never take that for granted, ever. Verse one, when Jonah, 
Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cry by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the uh, belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and the, thy waves passed over me. The first thing I want to look at is this idea that Jonah cried. And this is the hardest part to get to, is the, is the crying part. This is the hardest part to get to. The beginning of repentance often requires the most agony, sorrow, and trial. Right? The difficult thing is what leads us to the place of repentance. You know, what's the most interesting thing is that God's intention from the very start of our story was always that Jonah cry. Did you know that? Look back at chapter 1 and verse 2. What's it say? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God's intention was that Jonah always cry. But his, his heart was that Jonah would cry willingly. That their desires would be aligned. That he would cry willingly. That he would declare God and his throne and his majesty and his power out of a free will. Come join yourself to me was, was what God was asking. And now because of Jonah's failure to do so and his pursuit of self, he's brought to a place where he's forced to cry out and declare God out of a place of submission and hurt and pain. And it ought not be that way. It shouldn't have to be that way. You can choose. It's supposed to be voluntary. It's supposed to be a faith action, not a cry of mercy. See, the wind and the whale brought him to this place to cry out by reason of his affliction. If Jonah's affections were right, he would have, ne he would have been spared the afflictions. If his affections were right, he would have been spared the afflictions. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. See, Jonah was a selfish man. And he was worldly in that way. And he had set his affections on his own things, things of the world. But if he would have set his affections on God, he would have been spared the affliction. Key point number two. There's a lot of key points today, so be ready for that. We're going to move fast and furious. Key point number two. Knowing Christ is to savor his affection. To know Christ is to savor his affection. It's only just good in a place where you're intimate with Jesus Christ. It's only just good there. It might be hard. It might be difficult. But I'm promising you this. It's only just good there. The mariners discovered that at the end of chapter 1, if you remember. It's only just good. It's only just peace, peaceful. It's, there's only just peace in, the, in the, the den of the lion. You understand? Knowing Christ is to savor his affection and to spare our own heartache. You spare yourself a lot of affliction if you choose his affection. Now here's the beautiful thing, is that he was heard. The cry went out. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all fears. Psalm 66, 19 says, But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. 
Psalm 118.21 says, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and are become my salvation. It's good to know that when we cry out, God hears us. It's good to know that. And it leads us to key point number three. God hears and responds when his children call out. God hears you when you call out. You know, so many of us, when we're a place where we're hurting and we're afflicted and we want to cry out, we choose not to. It's very bizarre. It's very strange that we do that. You know what we often do? Is we turn to something else. We turn to some sort of device of distraction. We recognize that there's affliction in our life. We recognize a need to cry. There's something in our heart of hearts. There's something in our soul that demands that we cry out. And instead of doing so, we choose the thing that that distracts us. We go back to work. We go back to Netflix. We go back to our phone. We turn away. We distract ourselves. And the pain remains. We just tamp it down a little bit. When what we truly need is in the midst of our suffering and our pain, And the belly of the whale is to cry out to God and say, you have drawn me back and I recognize you are the only one. God hears and responds when his children call out. Now moving on to this idea that God honors our cry of faith. He honors it. He hears it. And he honors it. Verse 4, then I, uh, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. What an awful place to be. It's to be convinced in your own mind that God can't see you, see you that you've, you've fled so far that he can't see you. And it's just not true. I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compass me about. Even to the soul, the depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto me, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake thine own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. Now there's a lot here. Okay, and again, it's not my desire to break this down in every doctrinal nuance. I don't, I don't have time to do that. My, my primary objective here is to paint a character study of, uh, of Jonah for you. Okay, a character study that you can relate to. And so we're looking primarily at the state of Jonah's affliction and his need to repent. And this is what I want to say. God hears us and promises that he will receive our repentance. Again, some of us are convinced that that's not true. If I was to cry out, would God even hear me? There are some of you that have said that to me. And I don't know how to convince you besides what God's word says. I, I, I can't convince you of my own intellect or willpower or my eloquence of word. God's word says it. It's not like human relationships. Human relationships where where you go to a person where half-hearted apologies are received half-heartedly. 
passive-aggressive interactions where everyone essentially agrees just to move forward. Are you familiar with those types of apologies, those types of repentance, where, where someone comes to someone and they ask for forgiveness, but everybody just feels a little bit uncomfortable with the situation, and you go on just agreeing to ignore it, essentially? That's not what God does. When his people come to him and ask for forgiveness, he is quick to receive them at the point of their forgiveness, into loving arms, accepting them, willing to put away their past. In God's family, crying out is met with open arms. See, when I, when I think of the nature of God's forgiveness, I often think of Christ's story of the prodigal son. And forgive me, I will get emotional here. Okay, just forgive me in advance. Some of you know this story. Okay, there's a, there's a, a rich father. Uh, <clears throat> and he has two sons. Okay. And one of the sons comes to him and, he's, and he says, look, dad, I'm fed up. Okay, we don't know the backstory that brought him to this place. But he, he was not in a place where he was willing to continue in his father's will. I mean, his father had a plan. Look, I have an inheritance, and it's waiting for you. All right? Like financially, this is, that, that money should sit and continue to accrue, right, interest. All right? But, but the son doesn't want it that way. The, the father has a plan. But the son wants his inheritance now. Why? Because his primary concern is his flesh. His primary concern is his, are his thoughts. And he goes out, he, he takes the money, the father says, okay, here's your inheritance. It doesn't need to be this way, but, but here it is. And the son goes. And, the, and the, the son makes friends. Because where there's money, there's friends. Yeah? Stop that. You've always... You... Where there's money, there's friends. And people gather around, and they drink, and they have a good time, and they enjoy themselves. And they're merry until the money's gone. And the sun is left high and dry, and has no choice but to take a job working on a pig farm. Where his job is to feed the pigs and live with the pigs and eat among the pigs. And in his moment of extreme lowliness, he realizes that if he stays in that spot, in that place of hardship, that death will be his fate. That there's nothing there for him. And some of you thought that you were choosing merriment and some of you thought you were making your way, that you had a plan and that you were going to work that plan and everything was going to be good. But the God's honest truth is that you found yourself or will find yourself in the pigsty. Dreading of life. Dreading waking up and realizing that you're purposeless and empty and hungry and thirsty and in want of a father to love you, to adore you. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 18, his plan changes. He says, I will arise 
and go to my father. I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Anybody ever felt that way? You look at what Christ did for you and you say to yourself, I don't deserve this. I can't go back. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, he didn't even respond, he didn't even bother. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. God had a plan for you. And many of us have and are running from that plan. And affliction might have entered in. Suffering, trial, difficulty, confusion. And you find yourself in a place of lowliness. And I want to tell you, the Father is waiting. waiting for you. Key point number four. Getting back to God's affection is a matter of going back home. Getting back to God's affection is a matter of going back home. Going back to where the Father dwells. Going back to His Word. Going back to His church. Going back to prayer going back to your knees, going back to fellowship and friendship, intimacy with Him, going back. You might say to yourself, that's great, but I don't know the way back. I don't know the way back home. That's okay, Jonah's going to show us. Finding your way back home to God's affection. First of all, you must direct your eyes. You must direct your eyes. Verse 4, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, now listen to me. This, I wanna, this is so important. You understand that the concept of Jonah being cast out of, of God's sight is a matter of where his eyes are, not God's. Jonah can't see God, and so he's convinced that God can't see him. So what does he do? Yet I will look again. Repent. 
Repent. I will look again toward thy holy temple. Psalm 25.15 says, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he, ha- he shall pluck my feet out of the net, out of the trap. He will pluck my feet out. The relationship between where your eyes are and deliverance. You hear what I'm saying? That's what that, that's what that passage points to. Where your eyes are set have everything to do with whether or not God is going to deliver you. The psalmist sets his eyes and God delivers him from the net. He's looking for the act of repentance in your life. Some of you, you want God to save you and deliver you absent repentance. And he is content letting you sit in your filth until you've figured it out that he is the only way. Don't be presumptuous. Don't be selfish. Turn to him. Psalm 26.3 says, For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. The relationship between where your eyes are and where you walk. Where your eyes are and where you walk. I hope that you know, as a human being, that you can't walk a particular direction without looking where you're going. Or you will hurt yourself. Right? So the illustration works here. Key point number five. Your feet can't go where your eyes aren't turned. You want to go back home? You want to find yourself in a place of God's affection? Your feet can't go where your eyes aren't turned. So it must begin with turning your eyes. It must begin with directing your eyes towards His heavenly throne. Or you won't ever get to where you want to be. Your feet can't go where your eyes aren't turned. Next, you have to direct your mind. You have to direct your mind. Verse 7 says, When my uh, my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Another word of Uh, Another word for remembered was, I was reminded. My mind entered into a place where I recollected what God had done. You hear me? When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Guys, I can't tell you how important remembering is. Remembering is so important. But you know what? Remembrance is hard in a society of distraction and hyper-individualism. It's hard to do. Why? Because remembering is related directly to reflection and meditation. The quieting of yourself and the heightening of God's word. You can't remember unless you're still enough to remember. You can't remember unless you're quiet enough to remember. I mean, Eva doesn't believe me, but I tell her her sometimes I'll talk to her about memories that I have when when I'm like three and four and five. There's just there, whatever, Miles. You don't know. <laughs> so listen to me. I, I I don't know what to tell you, but when I when I was uh, three years old, my sister died. Okay, I had an older sister who died, and I remember her. And I remember us taking baths together, which is what you do when you're a little kid, you know. And I and I remember playing. And I remember the toys that we played with. And I remember watching her get on the school bus. 
I remember those things. You can't tell me that I don't. But you know what? When I remember them the, bo- the most is when I'm sitting in quiet and I'm thinking. I remember my brother I, I, occasionally, not very often because it hurts so bad. I'll go visit my brother's tombstone and I'll sit. And I'll be quiet. And I'll remember. I'll remember all the moments that we had and I'll remember our friendship and I'll remember who he is to me and listen to me. You can't remember, if you're filling your life full of distraction, you can't remember all the ways that God has loved you, adored you, fought for you, protected you, delivered you. You can't remember the nature of your friendship. It'll fizzle away. It'll disappear. You have to take time to sit and quiet yourself and meditate on who he is. It's the only way to remember. And remembrance is crucial. Key point number six. Remembering God is a discipline of desperation. You won't have any desire to sit and reflect and meditate. You won't have any desire to do that unless you recognize that you're a desperate creature. That you're weak. That you're miserable. That you're poor. That you're naked. And that you need to be clothed by Him. Unless you recognize fully the desperate nature of your situation, why would you even want to sit and reflect and remember him? See, remembering is a discipline of desperation. And if you forget how pathetic you are, you won't ever desire to remember. You'll be too busy making your own memories. You know, in response to Israel's idolatry, Look at what God says in Isaiah chapter 46, 3. It says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the, the womb, and even to your old age I am he. And even to whore's hairs, uh, whore hairs will I carry you. He's talking about, I've seen you from the very beginning, I'll see you to the very end, I will always be there. I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. It's funny how God remembers us, but we can't remember Him. To whom will ye liken me and make me equal? (laughs) To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me? That we we may be like. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith. And he maketh it a God. And they fall down, yea, they worship, they bear him upon the shoulder, they carry him and set him in his place, and he standeth from his place, shall he not remove, yea, one shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer nor save him out of his trouble. We make false gods, don't we? We make false idols, we bow down to them, we worship them, we make plan B's and we worship them. We have plans, we have desires, and we worship them. And here's what God says, remember this, and show yourselves, men, bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, 
and I will do all my pleasures. He's calling us to remember who he is, to come to his feet, to come to the cross, where the solution lies, to remember. We must, we must remember. We must direct our mind. We must direct our words. Verse 7, And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. My prayer came in unto me, into thine holy temple. Jonah spoke, and God heard him. See, we, I think we fail to fathom this fact. That when I direct my words to God, that they go directly to Him. There's no, there's no mail carrier. There is no intercessor. Right? Jesus Christ was the intercessor. He broke down the mail carrier program. He destroyed that. See, we are priests. And we can enter into the Holy of Holies. And we can, be, we can come before the living God. And when we speak words, He hears them. They come directly to Him. See, we don't fathom that, and so we fail to do it. We fail to pray because we don't believe. Forgive us, God. See, there is no stipulation here. If you call out by directing your words at God, He will hear them. Listen to what David says in Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Key point seven. Know that God's ears are always open to you. See, when you forget that, it makes it makes your crying out very, very vain. I mean, I guess you could cry out to many different things. You could cry out to your false idols. You could cry out to yourself. You can cry out in pain and suffering and affliction and never direct your words toward the throne room. But what we need is in that throne room. What we need begins with the ears of God because His hand moves in response to what enters His ears. I cannot explain that to you. I wish I could. I wish I could tell you why we, we worship a God like that, how we can know that the God of all things is all sovereign, but yet when we speak to him, him, his hand moves. How God controls all things, that he holds the universe together. And yet when I speak, he hears it, and he works in my regard. But we must know that God's ears are always open to us. When we forget that, we have no hope. Four, we need to direct our sacrifice. If we want to find his affection, if we want to escape affliction and find his affection once again, if we want to make our way back home, isn't home good? Isn't home just so good? There's something there. There's something there for us at home. We have to direct our sacrifice. 
Verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. See, the, the focus of worship here is on what he's willing to say and do. You understand? His sacrifice is the one of his voice, thank, thankfulness. He's making a sacrifice of thankfulness, and he's also making a sacrifice by paying what he's committed. He vows a vow, and he's willing to execute it. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice always came the, uh, with a vow. Did you know that? That actually sacrificing to the Lord came with a vow. It wasn't just a matter of appeasing God through the sacrifice. There was a vow that came with it, a vow to surrender themselves, the Jewish people, to surrender themselves personally to the holy and living God, to be more, more holy next year than they were this year, to be more sanctified than they were before. There was a vow that came with it. According to the ancient words of Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken that than the fat of rams. See, sacrifice, sure, 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 sacrifice is necessary. But the best sacrifice is the, is the obedience of your vow. Are you understand what I'm saying? Maybe this will clarify. Key point number eight. See, sacrifice is only is only as good as the subsequent level of surrender. I don't think you're hearing me. I want you to understand this. That your willingness to sacrifice is only as good as your willingness to sacrifice every day henceforth. To execute the vow of your lips. To live a confessory life. To live a lifestyle of submission before the living God, saying, your will be done. Your will be done. I will live for you. I will obey you. I will go where you tell me to go. I will go to the Ninevites. I will do what you asked of me. See, the sacrifice is only as good as the obedience. Verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. God restores us. He's faithful to restore us. See, whatever was lost along the way does not compare to what he restores to us. When we repent, God sets our feet on dry land. See, there might be residual consequences from your past. But listen, God restores your soul. What are the consequences in light of the fact that God restores your soul? What what are the consequences from your, your sinful past? Who cares? Suffer it. He restores your soul. Your your body might be worn and your clothes tattered, but but God clears a path on dry land. 
your eyes might require adjustment to the harsh reality of change. I mean, I'm sure that Jonah coming out of the belly after three days, that the light burned his eyes. He had been in the darkness of that belly. To come onto land had to hurt his eyes. You know, your eyes might require adjustment. But he casts a light upon your path to show you a new way. God restores us and he sanctifies us that we might take on the identity that he, he has always intended for us. He's always intended. There was always a way. There was always a will. There was always a plan. Key point number nine. God's forgiveness imparts a renewed spirit and a reestablished path. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to bring you back into the path of his will. And he's waiting there. Jonah 3.1 says... And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Praise God. I don't think that there's any more beautiful words than the words, came unto Jonah the second time. You know what that tells me? Is that I worship a God of second chances. There's always a second chance. There's always a second chance. As long as you have breath, God is waiting on his believers. He is waiting on his children to come to his loving arms so that he can kiss them, so that he can adorn them, so that he can prepare them for the thing that he has. He's got something so good for you. His will is worth it. And whatever sin that you have, and whatever difficulty you're dealing with, and whatever trial you face, he stands ready. So, as we've concluded the previous points, we'll, com- we'll conclude this point with a prayer, right? We've talked about all of the, the failed thinking and how we need particular forms of prayer for the difficulties of our mind and our heart. And when we fail God, that we need prayers to pray to God to get back to that place of restoration. And so here's our key prayer of repentance. And this is what I pray that Kaya would own as a lifestyle. Lord, set me free to live a lifestyle of daily repentance so that I never stray too far from home. You know, you don't have to go back home if you don't leave. If you never leave the dwelling place of God, then you don't have to go back home. You're already home. And my point to you is this, that a lifestyle of repentance ensures that our heart remains close to our Father. If there is deceit between you and your Father, if there's hidden hidden sin, if there is failure, 
if there's frustration, if there's wickedness in any way, if there are emotions that are not correct, the best thing you can do, which there certainly are, I know this because I'm a human being. I know this. And you're every bit the loser that I am. Every single day, I have to repent so that I remain close to my Father and so that I don't stray from home. And if you recognize today as the worship team comes up, you recognize that you've strayed from home and your eyes have not been directed and your words have not been directed and your mind has not been directed and your sacrifice has not been directed, it is time to repent. Repentance is good. It's not wicked. It's not evil. The fact that you're a sinner, welcome to the club. Get over it. We need to get right. And so what I'm asking is that you lay hold on someone that you know that you can trust right now and you go to work in prayer and you do the work of setting your eyes. We're going to do that right now. If you need to come forward, there'll be people up front. You can grab a hold of someone up front. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, We fail you daily. We wander, we stray. Our mind goes other places. We forget. And it leaves room for Satan to work. And so God, if there are people in this room today that recognize that their thoughts are selfish, Lord, if if, if there are people in here with with a plan B, an alternative to following you. God, I pray right now that you would call us to repentance. That we would speak out to you. That we would cry. And we would ask that we'd be restored. And we would pray that you'd forgive us. And we would vow to you vows. Vows of obedience. Vows of thankfulness. And Lord, that you would set our feet on dry ground once again. And you would say, here's one more chance, my son, my my child, my daughter. I love you. Let's go. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, For service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.